Yeah. I'm sorry, Pedro. I, I haven't got these settings figured out yet. We've switched over to Zoom, and evidently I have to make it to where – I think I can make the settings where you don't have to be admitted, but I kind of lets me be in control of one thing in my life. I, you know, Zoom, I can be in control here. Hey, whatever it is, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Tell yeah. everybody who we got, Schwartzy. Hey, we got the one and only Pedro Padrini. Uh, <laughs> our uh, – a, a resident uh, guy with a French accent, so, and, uh, and, but we don't hold that against him. And, uh, <laughs> and and now Pedro, is Pedro French or Mexican? Because it was kind of Spanish when I was growing up. But you have, you have the yes, it is Spanish. Yes, uh, yeah. for some reason in France, way back, yeah, some some uh, even my dad had that kind of a. Nickname is in France that was not looked at uh, at Mexicans, you know. That's just right. uh, yeah, just Spanish. That was just a little uh, yeah, that's Spanish, and uh, that was just a little fun, a little exotic type of uh, nickname, you know. So I've been packing that Pedro for since I was a little kid. Huh. <laughs> so, wow. You know, you in go. France, uh, you know, very in fact, very few people uh, know my real. Uh, my real name, I don't, which I, is Jean Pierre. Jean Pierre. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, over there, that was just uh, a, a little cool little nickname. Nothing, nothing Mexican, nothing like that. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> I've heard Capron is French. Does that mean something in France? Uh, no, it can be, it can be, you know, those French names can be anything from uh, an area, from uh, somebody who was there. And through time uh, with immigration, it could have been an Italian name to start with and somebody jump over the, 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 the Swiss Alps and oh. drop a letter and it becomes something. It could have been Capone before. Who knows? Who knows? Well, there you go. You know, through time uh, with little wars and immigration through those mountains over there, lots of things change. You know? sure. <laughs> People well, hiding, change the letters or something. <laughs> well, uh, Ben, is the way where I grew up and how I grew up, it's pretty close to Mexican now, too. So, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, Pedro, how would you say Capron in French? Capron. Capron. Okay. Wilson, Wilson, Wilson Capron. Capron. Wilson. <laughs> yeah, uh, Capron. And that's even real close to a bad word in Spanish that I'm called a lot, too. Capron, Capron. What's the difference? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man we're probably going to get kicked off Spotify so I said a bad word in a <laughs> language I don't know oh well I'm glad to have you Pedro there's lots of uh, there's lots of story that we just, I'm going to do my best not to talk on this one I promise because I know Pedro has a lot of story to tell us and I'm excited to hear it well I don't know about that you know we can, <laughs> I mean, France, right? You grew up, born and born and grew yep. up in France. And... Born and grew up in France, yes. Um, and, I was uh, born in. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. 
now you I was born in the northeast, and uh, my parents, for work, moved down more uh, toward the Swiss border. So I was uh, raised by the Swiss border, just a few miles hmm. from the Swiss border, in the Swiss Alps right there. You know. I think of, uh, yeah. of um, pretty girls when I think of the Swiss Alps, not necessarily skiing, but did you ever go enjoy the Swiss Alps scenery? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, they were right there. So everywhere you drive, uh, you get those mountains and lakes and this and that. But uh, I never really liked the snow. <laughs> no. I never went to ski and this kind of thing. So we did lots of things in the snow, or walked, or ride horses, and did all kind of stuff, but uh, never skied. So you grew up with horses? Yes. Yes, very young. Uh, a friend of my father started. Uh, uh, it was they were kind of farmer, but they 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 built to a little uh, dude outfit. So they had uh, they offer a little trail ride and this and that to the mountains and summer camps and uh, in the winter and everywhere. So a lot of people came in uh, rode, uh, you know, got acquainted with horse through through that. In those days, it was not uh, well. It was also the the classical, uh, fancy barn where you take lessons and learn dressage and jump and this and that, the real deal. But uh, the common people went to trail ride and uh, you know what we call do the outfit. Huh. That was lots of fun too. So you you got the American cowboy deal stuck in your head somewhere along the way, and was that what you had yeah. in mind when you came over? What was it, nineteen seventy eight? Yeah, for the yeah. first time. Yeah, that was the first time uh, when I came. Uh, I got acquainted with Western people way before that, uh, for for all kind of reason. Uh, it, it might sound a little funny, but. Uh, Way back in school, there was so much talk about the Americans, mainly from World War II soldiers and all that stuff and all the, the times. Then uh, in France, uh, the, the, the Western style start to be developed, mainly like, uh, like uh, those uh, parks, you know, like uh, a Disney World. There's all kind of reenactment things and uh, amusement park like uh, in France there's maybe five six of them uh, the latest one was probably one of those uh, and I, I believe it came from uh, from the day when Buffalo Bill went to Europe in 1904 I believe it was and uh, when you just talk about this it sounds like oh, they went to to France with uh, Boats of uh, of everything, piles of piles of numbers of people, Indians and uh, show people, Western, their stock, the the the, the Broncos, the Bulls, the the Cheyette, the reenactment of all kinds. And I thought, well, they just made a tour or something, but actually they stayed over there a few years and traveled all over Europe. And of course, it was a financial disaster 
but a lot of lot of artifacts from the from old kind of Amer- Indian tribes got sold over there, and that's what the collectors got. And even today, they discover all kind of collection who end up there in uh, through the Buffalo uh, Circus, like the you know, so, so the Wild West show. So you so, you get acquainted with all that stuff, and then the music. And there was lots of, uh, of course, the, the music from war, American songs who were translated uh, after World War II. Same melodies, just put some French word into it. All kind of stuff uh, take you to the American traditional thing, the, the music, the Western, the things. And in my younger days over there, that's when... Uh, the Western style start to 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 appear, you know, little clubs, little things, little competition, and little this kind of things. So since I was involved with horse, and mainly also one very major deal was uh, in Germany, the the U.S. Army still have bases, so there was lots of uh, American soldiers laying around who visit this and that. And of course, to entertain themselves, they had a rodeo, rodeo tour. A guy named Alan Jacob had a rodeo, like a rodeo contractor, who took uh, all the, the, just like here, uh, the rodeo on the road, and go to all those bases, American bases, huh. for the, the American soldier to, to play rodeo. There was lots of things, and me next to the the, the the Swiss border, that's where all the international associations are, the organization, the SEF, and all kinds of things. Uh, the American community in Geneva itself was over 15,000 people then. So you could find uh, food in those uh, nearby stores, uh, music. Uh, newspapers and all kind of American things for those people to to live their uh, their life in in Europe. Hmm. Uh, you know, coffee, uh, peanut butter, and name it. <laughs> and uh, of course, the big deal was the Fourth of July parade right there in Geneva, and that hmm. was uh, the mini America right there because there was people vending things. Uh, Boots outside, food, uh, music, uh, and the, uh, I mean, the parade, you know, American cars, I mean, they, all this create that, uh, together created that uh, American feel that I've got from way young in, in times. And the, the, the big thing, uh, way young in 71, I had a monster accident. I wonder, I wonder in my life what I wanted to be was a writer. Uh, I was not planning a Western writer at, the, at those times, but uh, the traditional European dressage, or that, I wanted a career in that, that line. But that accident I'm talking about in 1971 put an end to that. There was no way that I could even focus on anything like that. So that's when I stopped to fall toward uh, gear making and this kind of things. 
and then it went from there. And the people I met at the time uh, really developed that. Uh, that was an accident, same thing. I was walking in a street of Geneva with a friend after that accident. And uh, we walked by a, a gun shop. And uh, in that win- that gun shop had a window and display at the time Western gun. Of course, that was the days of the <laughs> Italian uh, Western, spaghetti Western. Oh, yeah. It was mm-hmm. all kind mm-hmm. of Western guns in that window. You know, replica from Uberti and all those people who, who copy the Western guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Peacemaker, the Revolver, the, the, the Colt, uh, Winchester of all kinds. And the display with some very fancy holsters. Oh boy, I just caught my eyes instantly. So I walk in and ask where that stuff came from. And it was made by a little guy in a, in a little corner in Geneva. So those guys gave me his name and address, and I jumped on a bus and went there instantly. Hmm. And <laughs> that guy invited me in, and that's when the first time I saw carving tools and leather work, the real thing. Everything we knew before was assembly line, the cheap stuff, Simco saddles, and this kind of thing. This was uh, the real handmade thing. This guy was not a saddle maker, but Made uh, all kind of small projects, belt, billfold, a lot of uh, archery stuff, uh, quivers, and all kind of things. And he was very good. He was very, very, very nice, nice guy. So he just uh, invited me in, show me all that stuff, and he says, "Come back anytime." That was his mistake, <laughs> and I did. That's how I stopped carving. Huh. And. Uh, then, of course, uh, through through my uh, years with horses, I, I, I had to saddle because that was the real love. I wanted to stay in touch with the horse people in the horse world. And I, I started to meet some of the those guys who compete in those Western, little Western uh, competitions, you know, and, and, and discover uh, people who, who knew way, way more than me who had some fancy gear coming from the United States, different ways. And uh, one thing led to another, and that's pretty much it. Of course, I uh, did this, this and that, and get to a point where where I could not progress anymore. I was nothing, not, no, no, not, nothing to learn, no, nobody to, to learn from, besides looking at that and try to copy it. There was two saddle makers in France then, and I thought they were good, <laughs> but uh, and they they didn't want to help a, a young. I was in my twenties then, you know. I, <laughs> I was uh, a young twenty twenty year old guy with long hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, long. <laughs> of course, I was making uh, a living with music then because uh, after that track I could not do much much physical at all so I I, I went to I took an easy route I uh, I was playing a little bit so I, I've got I play in, a, in a, a band to to make a living so I had lots of time so I went to see those guys but there's no way they want to help a, 
a 20 year old guy with long hair, you know, they, 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 they didn't think I fit or whatever. I don't know why. Anyway, and um, so I, I could not learn anything from those guys. And uh, I got to a point where uh, it was only one way to give up or come over here. And uh, of course, I didn't speak any English at all. So that was a little tough to think about coming over. But I had a friend, a Swiss guy, who's still friend, uh, who was going to come over in uh, near Los Angeles in, in a school, uh, a gym school. He was uh, a jeweler. And um, well, the idea we talked about it together so maybe I, I come along and I go do my things and if I'm in trouble I can always call him and he can me out because he spoke English pretty pretty freely you know? mm. so that was the idea and uh, the problem is the last minute he didn't come but I jumped in and came 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 by myself uh, with a big backpack, uh, bus ticket, no English, and then I just came over. <laughs> and and I, didn't know us all. Didn't know where you were going, just coming. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have no plan. I just uh, landed in New York, and that was not easy. I come from a little village who was in comfort, believe it or not, in the mountains, and there was 250 people. from a village in the mountains of 250 people to end up in New York try to go get a Greyhound bus with no English it was a little took me a little bit (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome did you find anybody when you got to New York that spoke French or or... no 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 no. when you get to New York uh Believe me, the last thing you think is find somebody who speaks French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking I should not come here, maybe. Oh. <laughs> I, I speak perfect English as a Texan, right? Perfect. That, that has an asterisk yeah. at the yeah. perfect English. But um, I'd be scared to death <laughs> to go to New York. Good gosh. Oh, that was... Uh... <laughs> well, Pe- Pedro, that was you, you, you told me a story, I think, if... Uh... Uh, if I remember right, uh, was it your grandmother gave you some advice when you came over to America? Yeah, what was she what sent was me that a letter? Advice? That was, <laughs> that was um, crazy. It blew my mind, you know. Gra- that was my mother's mother, my grandma. Okay. And uh, she sent me a letter. I was here already. And she sent me a letter, you know, and she says, be nice to those people. <laughs> she didn't know what I was doing. She thought I was here for music or something. So she didn't know anything. Uh, be nice to those people because we remember when they came to help us. <laughs> 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 she was talking about World War II. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. was in the Northeast France, uh, which is right there, border with uh, Germany. So, growing up, I heard a million stories from my mom, aunts, grandmas, and stuff. 
because the Germ the German came down and hit the borders right there. And um, I guess when they came to, I was in the winter, and uh, it was extremely cold. And there was so many stories about uh, those those Germans. Uh, I don't want to fall off on the west tonight, but those German who came on foot picked up the best, biggest guy, the blownest guy, the most uh, fit soldier, really the, the the big guy, you know. And they're, they're the soldier who came on foot and uh, just impressed the the, the, the the people. I mean, you know what I mean? They were here to to make them feel weak and, and win... Uh, by, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, uh, influence. You know, yeah, influence people. Look, uh, look how we uh, look how we are, and you bunch of little Frenchmen yeah. ain't gonna do anything about it. Intim know, intimidation that. type of thing. Intimidation, mm -hmm. right there. That's the word I was looking for. Thank yeah. you. Really. Yeah, that was uh, my mom worked in a restaurant, and those people by group went to eat there and stuff. And there was lots of stories told. It was pretty, pretty crazy times. Well, so that was just as you were being born though, right? Or no, you were born in the 50s, I guess. You're not that old. Yeah, Sorry. 50, I'm for, yeah 52, 52. But you know, the, in, the, in, the, in the everyday life, those people didn't forget, you know, it lasts a long, long, long time. So, in fact, I'm, t I'm still uh, for years and years and years. Uh, the the northeast uh, northeast uh, village who got uh, really hammered with the soldiers. Uh, some of the buildings n never been fixed. Hmm. They never been fixed for the only reason that everybody can see and remember all that stuff. Hmm. You know when you. Well, well, you walk, walk by the church, and half of the walls are covered with holes from the from the, the tanks and all the, the you know the weapons and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, kids, get, the, the people tell the story, and the kid can see the results. Mm -hmm. So that's something. Mm -hmm. Not to mention many many movies and this and that. We had a little taste of this with uh, with Carrie. At Saint Mary l'Église, you remember? Oh, I, I was just going to well, say that. <clears throat> yeah, Saint. How do you say it? Saint Mary l'Église. Saint Mary l'Église. Yeah, that was right uh, the first town liberated by the. I think it was the hundred first Airborne on D Day. Yeah. Or within yeah, a yeah. couple, a few days of D Day. So. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'll never forget that. That, of course, was uh, featured in the movie "The Longest Day," with yes. Uh, yes. what Robert Mitchum, I think, uh, wasn't yeah, John Wayne in there. Yeah, so yeah. You know, there was uh, Corporal John Steele, I think, was his name. He got hung up in the steeple of the church as he was parachuting into the town square. Mm -hmm. So you can go to that town square and. And we we walked across that there, and there was a little bar right there on the square, just a stone's throw from that church. And and uh, you go in that bar, and you th you would think that you were in America. 
there was an American flag on the wall. And here I was, 100% German ancestry, and I drank a German beer in a French <laughs> bar in, in uh, St. Mary Glees, and, and you would have thought that I was in the United States. Yeah, yeah. So did, j just quickly tell everybody what, what you were doing there, Kerry. I mean, that, that's kind of a cool cool deal that you and Pedro did. Well, it, it was, uh, I'd been in the TCAA, I'd been mumbling about, man, I, I want to get to Europe sometime. And mostly I was thinking England because, and learn some casework and some of the finer points of some of that European style casework. And, and uh, I don't know if we were, was probably wasn't in a meeting or something. We we're probably just sitting around in a bar or hotel lobby or something. And Pedro happened to be there. And I think it was the next spring, maybe. And uh, Pedro says, I think we have, I have the right person that we can go visit. Well, I was always thinking English because of the language thing. And he says, well, we can go to, go to see Jean-Luc Parizeau in Saumur, <laughs> France. And, uh, in the Loire Valley right there <laughs> along the Loire river. And, and, uh, next thing you know, it was the spring, I think April of 2009, we went over there and spent what a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, or something over there. And yeah, yeah. Spent, like that. Uh, yes, that was uh, Pedro and I were just talking there a couple of weeks ago about how I mentioned how life changing that was for me. It still is. It's just a lot of the stuff that I learned there has been really, really valuable. So we kind of repurposed some of that the English bridalry and hand stitching and, and stuff and. So it was it yeah. was awesome. So Pedro, <laughs> you can chip in on how it is. Did did you meet Jean Luc, and uh, how did that come to be on your end? Jean Luc, uh, that's way back. Uh, let me see. Uh, was has uh, got to be nine uh, ninety ninety one early ninety one. I got a letter from that guy. And uh, telling me that he's an English trained saddle maker and he likes to learn different things, uh, different style of work from different countries. And uh, we had a common friend, and uh, the common friends gave me my name and phone number and address and all this. That was a letter, not even a phone call, and uh, asking me. If I could help him or or do something, so I I called him and I said, "Well, what you have in mind? I mean, for me to help you, you have to come over. You know, I can I'm not going to go there." <laughs> uh, and um, I says, "Well, if you want to come over, you can." So it took a little time, a little bit like us, to decide and this and that, and and he showed up, and. Um, we 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 made uh, we we did uh, all kind of stuff. First, we stopped carving. It was totally that was totally foreign for him to for, for, to to carve. You know, uh, the leather work definitely was uh, not a problem. Cutting, edging, all that stuff. We did uh, a few things together. He sent me lots of pictures and uh, and bring some stuff. So we we stopped doing some Western things. Uh, making some carpet, little project, big project, and we even made a saddle. Uh, for him, that was a little basket stamp, uh, 
little open type of saddle. In fact, we saw that saddle in his shop when we were there, Kerry. <coughs> and uh, that was it. So he stayed uh, oh, probably a month, a month and a half, and, and went back. And we stayed in touch, uh, sometimes more than others, sometimes a few months without nothing, and letter, a call, and, and this and that. And of course, he always uh, invited me uh, to go to see his shop in France. And of course, life is busy and stuff. I could not, never go. That's when uh, th that conversation you had with Kerry, with somebody talking about this uh, go to Europe and learn some things. I, I was not even in a conversation. I was right there. And I heard that by accident. That's right then. And I mention um, Jean-Luc, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the main idea, I knew you wanted to go England because the language, and uh, but that was uh, right the day I heard you say that, I, I, I took, I thought about Jean-Luc and the idea, you know, and since I was invited, I said, well, there may be time to do this. <laughs> so we sure. put this together. And Jean-Luc, Worked for the the military, right, the, or the French government as a saddle maker? Well, I remember mm -hmm. something about well, that. Well, that that's uh, yes, it was a military school. The that was a school for officers, for young officers. That was uh, years ago. It was a base. The, the, now you have to understand, Saumur is uh, way back, way way back in the. 1500s, 1600s. That was the, a big uh, military base, if you want to call it that, but with horses, because that was uh, <laughs> that was the 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 the, 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 the way then. You know, in fact, we saw with Kerry a bunch of military museum with horse tanks uh, out of this world. Right. <clears throat> I've seen lots of books um, from that time period that are just incredible. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. There's museum and there's a, a very, very uh, traditional deal over there called the Cadre Noir, uh, which is just now, of course, it is a school again uh, where they display horsemanship. They got. Uh, summer gala where there's a spectacle, a uh, big, not like a circus, but I don't know really how to explain that. Uh, you know, uh, it's just, yeah, a, a spectacle, you know, where mm. they, they, they do so those, those big uh, presentation of all kinds. And uh, it's been going on for four years. So that all those tables, at one time, it was over 3,000 horse. We saw with carry all those walls with rings where they tie up hundreds of horse and things. Anyway, that school was the leftover of that stuff. And uh, that was a school for, for officers. Remember Kerry talking to the, the big boss over there? He was telling us why they still uh, put those young officers with horses. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that conversation we had. It was Colonel Bernard. What was his last yeah, name? Yeah. 
big guy. Yeah. And his yeah, Engl- English was outstanding. He was he was a fairly young guy and stuff. And and uh, what he what he told us, he said, uh, uh, I can't remember what stage in the officers' training, but they they it was mandated that they have horsemanship, even if they they'd never been on a horse before. They had to have horsemanship training, and the reason for that was uh, it was a leadership the leadership aspect of it and. And uh, they were drawing a connection between horsemanship where you've got to, in his words, impose your will on this animal. Of course, we don't talk that way in this country much anymore. We talk about willing partnerships and stuff like that. But but he also said that uh, he kind of unpacked his concept of you've got these men that have to follow you in battle. They've got to be bought in. They've got, you've got to find a way to creatively uh, get these people, these soldiers to buy in and follow you into the, you know, the, the teeth of the enemy. And uh, the, another thing that came out of that too, was uh, the concept of in horsemanship in this country. And I use it on my kids when they were in 4-H and stuff where, where uh, this horse is looking for a leader and you're it, hmm. which really unpacks, that says a lot of, and that's what they were trying to do, but they've discontinued yeah. that. Haven't they, Pedro? They don't, they don't have that mandatory horsemanship training anymore. No, no, no. They closed the, the deal completely. And so there's a, it, it became completely different. So yeah, no, they, uh, they, they still have another base somewhere. I can't remember. Jean-Luc told me. Uh, but somewhere else where they do the same thing, but not so much. Yeah. Well, the thing about those that deal too, he, he said uh, lots of time, the the troops, the soldier or whatever, are older people, and the officer is the young guy who don't have no experience, just got the education in different ways. And uh, when a young guy come and see somebody older who's got way more. Uh, way more experience that's hard to make him believe then you're the boss he's kind of want to bully you a little bit mm-hmm. that was the deal with the horse that young soldier didn't know nothing about horse had that big horse who's way bigger and stronger than him and he had to find a way to make it work together mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was the idea you know to you cannot use force you ain't going to push that horse around mm-hmm. uh you ain't going to win so you need to use something different. <laughs> and that was the idea right there. Put somebody who, your words and whatever you can say or your costume, ain't going to work it with that horse. So you better find something else. Yeah. <laughs> and that was to develop this kind of ideas. I just found that so fascinating. How, yeah. you know, that it's a shame <laughs> to hear that they don't do that anymore. And, and you'd think that would be a, that could be an important component with all this high tech stuff. Bottom line, yeah. you got to be able to lead men into battle. Period. How yeah. are you going to do yeah. that? Yeah. You, you're not going to slap them around and force them to do it. You're going to have to no. address no. it creatively. No. So that's right. That's right. That's right. That's just um, that's uh, you. You you mentioned horse in this country. Uh, if you if you. I've been involved with this because, like I said, I may I want to be a horseman, and 
I failed physically, although I didn't fail nothing. Because years later, I finally healed and spent lots of time with horses. But the the horse psychology, when you hear all those people we've got, uh, the Dorrance's Ray Hunt and all those guys, and there's piles of them, and they are they study all that stuff and all the writing, and you read and uh, and pay attention to all that stuff, all that horse psychology was the same thing. It just been developed in, in different different ways mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. using different words, but the result is the same, you know. And uh, of course, today horse became uh, besides a handful of cowboys. We don't do much with horse, but uh, a pleasure or a competition or whatever. In those days, <clears throat> horse were everyday life, just like here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your transportation. Uh, well, uh, transportation, war, uh, farming, or name it. Yeah. And uh, all those schools and all that stuff in... Uh, what we saw in Europe, the cadre noir, the school where Jean-Luc was and all that stuff was just uh, the end of all that stuff. But that was all created with, the, with that in mind. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a crazy thing about you mentioned the Western guys. Uh, there's that, that book from uh, Bill Dorrance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which is a tank harmony. And in this book, he mentioned the old guys from Saumur. And when I read this, I said, where the hell a guy like Cowboy Bill Dorns or Tom Dorns, whoever wrote the book, I think it's Tom, whatever, mentioned uh, Francois Burdon. Where the hell this guy heard that name, you know? Francois Burdon was uh, the old, old school in Europe about the fancy, fancy horsemanship from the 1700s. I've got all kinds of copies from those days. Of course, uh, too bad they're in French, so I cannot land or share this with anybody else. Uh, I I would love to, because I know lots of horse people, and uh, lots of time we we talk about stuff, and I could not lend them those books for them to read that stuff, because it's in French. And those guys somehow got hold of this kind of things and even mentioned in their books. Hmm. And that always blew my mind. Oh, they are a cowboy from the Northwest, know about Etienne Burdon. That's <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, crazy. It's Remember that wall at, at the Cadre Noir, uh, that wall with all the names of the, the masters who were uh, there before? Yeah, the, the bibliotheque, where there was oh, a library yeah. that had books yeah. that were, there was oh. a books they, they were handling with white gloves that was yeah. was over a thousand years old. They yeah. had pictures yeah. of bridal bits, Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what looked like, could have been, Pedro probably remembers better than me, but what looked like maybe the beginnings of the concept of uh, a spade bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, when we look at those books, that's what I was looking for because Chuck Storm asked me to look for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we even took a few pictures of that uh, 
that guy uh, turning the pages. Remember, we got we got a couple of pictures from. Oh from yeah, that. yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it just spins chills up your spine to to look at all that stuff that the history the deep deep history of our horsemanship and the connections that we have we're yeah. we're you know we we think of europe and french and stuff that how different culturally and it's certainly true that we are different but in some ways mm -hmm. we're only a few degrees difference yeah. there's not there's just not a hell of a lot of difference between us in some ways so kind of interesting to deep do a deep dive into some of that stuff like we had an opportunity to do over there yeah well you know that's uh i'm gonna say something who's even a little weird but I, I think about this quite quite often over there they talk about the old school and the new world mm -hmm. uh, related to old times and the fancy 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 all, all the fancy word in horsemanship over there from from dressage, which dressage is a French word, and all the all the words and the maneuver and all the things are in French. Mm. But it didn't mm. come from France; it came from Italy. And uh, that's when the people start moving around and share this kind of thing. That's where that uh, before people didn't didn't do this. They were there and they stayed there and did their life. Then. Uh, I don't know, maybe in the 1400, what we call the Renaissance, uh, they start moving around and start and start learning technique from other people from other countries, and it it became what it what it is or whatever. And uh, mm. you you think about this, but of course all this comes from Europe. But we look at all those white guys uh, in the United States; they also come from Europe just a few hundred years later <laughs> so all those horsemen they're from england they're from italy they're from france they're from whatever uh, from germany and they they modified the horsemanship just like it modified over there a few hundred years later but that's the same thing they're they're europeans hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah sure sure <laughs> Sharing information and growing and learning all together. Sounds like a TCA thing. Too. That's right. You know, they went from Italy to France, to England, to this and that, and Germany, and same thing here. Then it came here with sure. immigration. Yeah. That's all it is. There were not much, like you said, that's just a, a different evolution. Well, Ev evolution because we, we quit using them horse to work for. We don't need them uh, now. We just spend time, um, you know, with them just for pleasure or for the right. the fun of learning or whatever. So is like we're talking about what y'all did—the casework and the, the hand sewing that y'all did with Jean Luc. Um, that that's a similar thing that y'all brought. That is there other guy? Is there is there craftsmen in, in America that can hand sew and do the casework that that y'all learned with Jean Luc? Are there are there individuals here, or is that something that like y'all went and, uh, and brought information over here? Very very few of them were making or making English saddle, and they were probably uh, from Europe themselves. Sure. Um, it was a German guy. I can't remember the name, but. Only a few years ago, he showed up on one of those magazines 
he was an old German guy. <coughs> Some, I, I don't know exactly. An old German guy who came after uh, early in his young days, but he was from Germany and he was a saddle maker there and he made English saddle and uh, he, he showed up in a magazine because he was selling his tools and mm -hmm. there was a little history about him. And, uh, it, it, you know, of course he did European style work, but he was a totally unknown, maybe he was known in his little area somewhere, yeah. but, you know, he never made uh, a big uh, impression on anybody or anything. He was doing his things and that's it. Uh, so we never heard of him, but uh, he was doing a little bit of that stuff. Few, few guys, but uh, I believe uh, this came about more when we came back and started to, to expose this a little bit more. More Carrie than me. Uh, just uh, I, I, not for any special reason, but Carrie is more uh, uh, sharing, uh, expressing himself. Way. He's more on a slim light than me. And, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he gets, he's uh, he gets, doing classes, he's doing all kind of stuff, then I don't. So he's the one who spread the word way more than me, yeah, which is great. He oh. does podcasts and all kinds of crazy things, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, 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 all that stuff. I can't say yeah. no to the ideas in my head. That's part of my problem. But uh, no, I, really, Wilson, uh, to, to answer my answer to your question too is there anybody in this country that's that's been doing something like jean luc i know of nobody not nowadays no. but i think no but i think the i mean he, he taught us things he he sent us home with little mock-ups of different ways of of uh making bridalry that i'll probably never use i mean his his training was so comprehensive was unbelievable the amount of stuff he was showing us. But I mean, truth be told, I don't know if Pedro would agree, but I, I feel like I'm on a only, I'll work at this the rest of my life and I'll probably only scratch the surface of what he showed us. So the little taste, he just gave us a little taste of different things that he showed us there. But I also want to yeah. say too, though, um, this kind of craftsmanship was in this country. And I think when yeah. we, we go back to the Bay Area and, and of course, the story of of the, the 49ers, you know, the, the, the gold strike mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, of course, that was the, yeah. that, that story went the world over, uh, go to California and you'll strike it rich and all that kind of stuff. So, so that brought a lot yeah. of Europeans over to the Bay Area. Well, what happened yeah. when they went bust? Well, they returned to the the old school, the trade that they once knew back in, in the old world. So, so you look at some of that older Visalia stuff and whatnot, even up into this, uh, well into the 20th century, there was some really, really fine work that came out of the Bay area. So it was here. I, I just look at our, our job in part is, uh, try to re reclaim some of that lost ground, try to get back to some of that finer work that we saw way back then so i want to i want to pivot here and something i'm gonna 
I'm going to, we're going to drop some brand new information that Pedro and I are privy to that uh, you haven't heard a word about, Wilson. Wow, yeah. And, uh, and needles. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have my good buddy Reed Edwards from back in uh, South Carolina sent me this. Oh, when, when was it? He sent me this. I don't know how he found this thing. So Pedro knows where I'm headed with this. This is a, there was a saddle made for Lyndon Baines Johnson in uh, 1963. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to read a little uh, deal here. That's, that's kind of a, I guess, sort of an update, a, a very short clip of what was happening in, in 1963 down in Texas. It says here, the LBJ saddle, the tedious work on a special hand-tooled red, black, and yellow saddle to be presented to the Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson is more than half complete. Saddle makers, Eddie Brooks and Jerry Drush, who are making this saddle in the lobby of the Continental National Bank in Fort Worth, say the job will be finished on Friday. They won't give a saddle's exact cost, but say the say one like it is worth about four hundred and fifty dollars. So a present, <laughs> special presentation ceremony is planned on Friday. Officials say they may bring in a horse to test the saddle on. Some <laughs> hope that Johnson will be there too. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So let's see. Uh, yeah, that's that's about all. I I don't know how how in the world uh, Reed Edwards uh, wound up with that little scrap of information. So let's fast forward to within the last year or so. Eddie Brooks is still alive. Uh, I understand he's not doing very well. And uh, what is he ninety something? Pedro, he's just down the road from you. He just uh, ninety one on the first of December. Okay, there you go. Anyway. So I I called Pedro knowing that Eddie was right there nearby uh, and asked him if he could visit with Eddie since his memory was still pretty good at that point in time. I have in my hand a disc of the story that of that LBJ saddle from 1963 that Eddie Brooks has dictated and... Uh, we need to figure out what we're going to do with this story because it's a very cool story. That is cool. So, yeah, are you two? Mm -hmm. You're not doing anything with the saddle. It's just it's, I kept waiting for y'all yeah. for you to say y'all have to do some restoration work on it or something like that. But. No, <laughs> I don't even know where the saddle is. You'd have to do some detective work. It could be that it says it's a red saddle, but uh. Could be in the LBGA library, wherever that is, Dallas or Fort Worth or something. We ought to put you to work on that, Willie. No, that's glue yeah. stuff. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a cool story, though? That is a cool story. I mean, so, it. <laughs> built in the lobby of yeah. a bank. Yeah, that's what I was just fixing to say. How cool is it that they found it? Was a public was event. Yeah. It was a public event. Yeah. Wouldn't that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so what y'all did at Hamley's four or five years ago, six years ago, wasn't a public event, but that was an event. And y'all are going to do a similar thing this spring, right? Um, somewhere. 
what the plan is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but would, would there be, uh, is there entertainment value for the world to do something like that in a bank, you know, or in a public place? I, how much is, I know it's, I mean, the, the show, how it's made, you know, lots of people enjoy seeing how things are created. I wonder, that's an idea out there, world. That's an idea. We have talented <laughs> saddle makers getting together to do something. Right? But that would be well, it's not a know. new, it's not a new concept. Um, I remember talking to Chuck about this, how um, Alfred Soria, um, the great, well, we, we, what is generally considered the father of modern day flower stamping was an employee, a stamper for Visalia. And uh, I don't know the, the street names and stuff, but somewhere on some corner, and it might not have been a 90 degree corner, but I can imagine a, a corner where there was a little shop right in the very point of the corner and it was glassed in and Alfred and, and it was called the artist under glass. The people could walk by and the artist could continue uninterrupted. People could peer in the window and press their face against the window and watch and see things unfold in there. Hmm. So and not unlike what Jim Jackson was doing there at the King museum, he was, he yep, was yep. doing something similar. So anyway, it's a compelling idea. I just think it's pretty cool to be able to come up with something like that. So we'll, we'll stay tuned. Yep. We'll neither Pedro and I have listened to this disc. I'm embarrassed to say so, but I need to crack it out and sit and listen. I just haven't broken off the hour or however long it is to listen to the whole thing. Straight from the mouth of the man who did it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And you know, Mr. Brooks, Eddie Brooks, is that what you said his name was? Kerry? Eddie Brooks, yeah. Eddie Brooks. You know you know him, Pedro? He lives close to you. Yeah, he's the guy who started me. Oh, well, there you, go. you probably have met him. Did you meet him back in nineteen seventy eight? Yeah, he was the foreman at uh at Capriola. And uh he's the one who says, Okay, you can stay. That's a long story of itself, but uh uh, <laughs> so you That's went. Real, you went from New well, York City, and got you. You got finally got you a bus ticket, and then go to Elko. And now we're capital. Took uh, <laughs> well, I don't remember the date. I could find them because of my passport. I still have the old passport. Huh. I could find the dates, but it took a few months from New York to end up in Elko. With some story out of this world, if you, if I tell you the story, you're gonna think I'm a nutcase, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I almost died on Highway 50 in the middle of the winter. That was the winter. I think I showed up in uh, in Elko the the ninth of March. Anyway, and if it was not for uh, Bill Watt, Bill Watt is Jeremiah Watt's brother. Mm-hmm. who just came out of school in uh, in TSDI school, Texas, and they all came from that school. Lots of them. Uh, Jeremiah, Bill Watt, uh, Toy, uh, Scott Brown, and on, you know, Conrad, mm-hmm. and all those guys came from that same school. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I showed up at that day at, uh, at uh, Capriola. Of course, I didn't speak any English. I told you that before, but I, I had a letter wrote by a friend in Switzerland 
I never could read the letter either. I don't even know what it says because I could not read English. <laughs> anyway, I gave him that letter who kind of said what, what I wanted. Of course, nobody could understand what I said, and they barely could read the letter either. And, uh, but somehow, for some reason, Bill Watt jumped in the conversation, and he guessed instantly what I wanted. So he stopped surprising than that Canadian help a French guy because you know Canadian and French they don't really like each other <laughs> mainly because of Quebec <laughs> anyway he jumped in and I don't know what he said but they decided to keep me around somehow and that was the that was my lucky day right there you know so, so I stayed uh, at Capriola for a few months and um, Eddie Brooks uh, is the one who started me. Of course, I didn't do much. I helped here and there and did all kinds of stuff. But I took 27,000 pictures and uh, notes. And <laughs> I couldn't speak, so Eddie Brooks brought me little notes. And uh, I, still some of, I've, I still have some of those. Uh, unbelievable. And uh, I can translate them uh, in my time, you know, whenever I had time. <laughs> so it was a little delay. If it was a joke, I laughed half an hour later. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was quite of a deal, you know. But that's how I started, anyway. Eddie Book. So of course he live. Uh, he still live a few miles from me, right there. I go. Tony and I we go visit him every every few days, uh, once a week or whatever is possible. He's, uh, he's on a bed and now he cannot even get up no more. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's ready to go. Yeah. Hate Man. to say that that way, but he, he is really ready to go. He begs to go. Well, I don't yeah. like, to, I don't like to hear that, but, but well, he was a great guy. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't know him that well. But uh seemed like every time I'd show up in Elko and he'd come kind of strolling oh. through the red lion or whatever and always yeah. had time for a little bit of a visit and very, very accommodating. He he's like Don King. He never met a stranger, just a, a friendly guy to everybody, very accommodating. Yeah. 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 Hmm. And uh I don't know, I don't know how bad. How bad you can show him something? Uh, I don't care how bad it is. He will find something good to say about it. Mm -hmm. That's that's a mind blower. Yeah. I, I mean, you can show him the worst piece of work. Uh, I don't know, and ask him what he thinks, or ask him for a little critique, and he will never say anything bad about it, and find a find a good <laughs> a good spot to point. You know what I mean? Uh, I, just uh, the, not only was an unbelievable saddle maker, uh, he had a style of his own and everything, and um, absolute good, 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 good guy. You know, yep. really a good person. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Well, Pedro, I feel like we can have you on here for another hour at least and tell <laughs> stories. We need to have you back sometime. Yeah, yeah, why not? Sometime. No problem. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we we just now got him to America. There's a whole nother story now that we got him in America, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh boy, it is an awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have to yeah, say I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Pedro, uh, knowing where he came from and how he came over here, just jumped off into deep water and and uh, and what a tremendous craftsman and artist that he is today. So very well, privileged to have him have have him as a friend. So I've I've never heard him play the guitar, but I know he plays it good by the way he d makes his leather, you know, does the saddles and all that. I know you play that hell out of the guitar because <laughs> that that's obviously your personality. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it. So that's awesome. That was the young days, and uh, now the end. Uh, the hands are got a little old and stiff, you know. <laughs> so the fancy guitar is things of the past, <laughs> but it's been it's fun to play though. Well. <laughs> It has been great having you on Patreon. Now that we got technology where we can all do it, we'll we'll, we'll visit more. I think we have to have him back on, Kerry. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, hey guys. <laughs> we got a pile of work to do. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we don't want to get well. A thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lou, and, uh, thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Pedro. And, uh, we'll we'll all visit soon. How's that? All right. Sounds good. Very good. Take you care, everybody. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye.